The new year is a time for new beginnings, like I said. And so it's also a time for New Year's resolutions. And I hope that you are wanting to take a step up in the new year, that this is inspiring you. You know what? I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to set some faith goals. I'm going to accomplish something in 2022. I hope that's you. And so today I'm going to give you some New Year's resolutions to follow all the way back from Deuteronomy chapter five. So we are going to cover the 10 commandments over the next two weeks. This week, we're going to cover the ones that have to do with our relationship with God. And next week, we're going to cover the ones that have to do with our relationship with other people. You know, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he said, hey, love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Pastor Mike paraphrase. That is what we're going to do. We are going to look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to grab hold of them and have following the Ten Commandments in 2022 as our New Year's resolution. So we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Before we read them, I want to ask you this question. What would the world be like if everyone on the planet, eight billion or however many it is, that everyone on the planet just followed the Ten Commandments? What would this world be like? How about this? What if just the Christians, the people who consider themselves Christians, if they followed the Ten Commandments? What would this world be like? You're looking at Oh, change the world this way, that way, the other way. Let's change the world by just following the Ten Commandments. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I could have read the list from Exodus as repeated here in Deuteronomy. And what I like about Deuteronomy is that, you know, the ones coming out of Egypt had the promise, but it was repeated to the ones who are going to take the land after the 40 years of wandering in the desert. And so there's a little language in here about that. And I just think it's meaningful because, you know, we aren't the Israelites leaving Egypt. We're not even the Israelites going into the promised land out of the desert. But we are followers of God thousands of years later. And these promises of being able to take our promised land are still available to us. And we have to walk in the ways of God. So let's read the Ten Commandments and then we'll get into some preliminaries and we'll look at the first four. So here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 1 through 22. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless 
who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. So that's the account of Moses bringing out the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments and what the Lord said. So those are the Ten Commandments. Now I want to talk about some preliminary things before we get deep into the Ten Commandments because it's very important to understand that we are not under law but under grace. We do not serve God by the way of the law, but we serve by the way of the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit, not led by law. We are saved by grace, through faith, not through following the law. So we just need to talk about that a little bit. The truth is that the law was not random or arbitrary either. It got turned into legalistic righteousness, But there were reasons why God put the Ten Commandments down. Uh, It wasn't just random and arbitrary. I want to see if they'll follow what I'll do. You know, hop on your left foot 12 times and then your right foot 12 times. You know, it's not just this random stuff. There were reasons for it. And even you go into all the other laws, you know, the dietary laws, the stuff that has to do with mold, all these different things that are in the Old Testament Those are there to help guide the nation of Israel before they understood things like disease and mold and all these different things and and what different foods could do. They didn't understand those things. And so God guided them through that. But it turned into a yucky legalistic thing. And then Jesus came to fulfill the law. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something rather quite wonderful. In verses 17 through 20, this is the Sermon on the Mount and basically what I consider the the setup, the explanation of what the Sermon on the Mount is. And so here we go, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What does it mean that he came to fulfill the law? Well, I think verse 20 is really the key to understanding that. Verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So how can their righteousness surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? These were people that were profoundly legalistic. They followed every single rule that they could find. It's like they... they spent all their time trying to find rules to follow. They'd make up new rules and follow them. I mean, they, they were very much righteous in that rule-following sense. And I don't think you can follow rules more than what they did. But Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But what was happening is that they had grabbed hold of the letter of the law and were completely missing the spirit of the law. And what Jesus does to fulfill the law is to bring us into the spirit of the law, not a legalistic following of the letter of the law, but really grabbing hold of the why, the heart, the spirit of the law. Now, I'm not trying to create a rigid new covenant law because that's a contradiction in terms, but instead, what I want us to do is to grab hold of the heart of God in the Ten Commandments. You know, because there is a type of religious compliance that is somewhat akin to what they call malicious compliance. You know, that's where somebody gives you a rule to follow and you follow it exactly right, even though that messes everything up. You know, like, uh, let's say your boss tells you to sweep the floor and you don't sweep the floor. And then they, no, sweep the floor. You do what I tell you to do. I'm paying you to do this. Sweep the floor. Like, All right, I'll sweep the floor. And then you notice that the building is starting to catch fire. He told me to sweep the floor. I'm just going to sweep the floor. Uh, and you just let the place burn down. That would be malicious compliance. And I think something that Christians can get into when they start thinking from a legalistic or from a law-oriented perspective would be rebellion compliance. That's where you're following the letter of the law, but you are not following the spirit of the law. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law, which means that we don't have loopholes. We don't have, you know, ways that we can rebelliously follow the law, clearly going against the spirit of the law. Like for example, don't give false testimony or don't lie. Well, there's ways you can technically not lie. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And so that's the stuff that Jesus deals with. Like it's not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. Let's make sure we grab hold of that. So let's go to the first four of the commandments and look at those, the ones that are about how we relate to God, how we love God. Deuteronomy chapter five, verses six and seven. Let's look at this one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. A little footnote here says, or besides me. So what that means is no gods in front of God, no God next to God. <laughs> and I believe the next one, the idle one is, and no gods behind God, you know, no gods in front, no gods beside, no other gods before or beside the living God, our father in heaven, father, son, Holy Spirit, God, the father, Jehovah God, the son, Jesus, the son of God, 
and the Holy Spirit of God. All God. This is God that we serve. No other gods before him. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you have a Lord over your life? Because I don't think in today's world, we have a whole lot of problems like ancient Israel had. They had problems with serving other gods. We have a problem more of forgetting about God. You know, this first commandment is absolutely about serving God first. Being someone who is a servant of God, a follower of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, with nothing else in front, nothing else beside serving God. That's what it's about. Now, do you serve and obey and follow Almighty God? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you have no other gods before God, Almighty God? And do you focus on God? Are you aware of that? Do you walk through each day as a servant of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as an ambassador for Christ, as a citizen of heaven? Do you live your life serving God or have you sort of forgotten? Now, when the ancient Israelites served other gods, Bad things happen. I'm going to Jeremiah, Jeremiah marked here, where they were following other gods and they had to face the consequences of that. Jeremiah 5, 19, where God is telling them, okay, you know what? I'm going to send you off into captivity because you've been not faithful to me. You've been following other gods. You haven't followed these commands. And so God says this, verse 19 of Jeremiah 5, And when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this to us? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. So they didn't serve God in the promised land. So God's like, okay, you're gonna be banished and you're gonna serve others in a foreign land. You're not just gonna be occupied, you're gonna be exiled. And so that's very harsh. God takes that very seriously. And again, there's, I mean, there's a little bit of a resurgence of paganism and, and that sort of a thing, but it's not really that big of a deal. If you're involved in that, get out of that, start serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's, so there you go. But for most people, it's really about forgetting about God. And we don't want to forget about God. They call that practical atheism, where you sort of in the back of your mind acknowledge God, but you live as though there is no God. Practical atheism. So We don't want to live in practical atheism where we just forget about God. We're not conscious of God. We're not aware of God. We go for months without thinking about God. No, we need to serve the Lord every day, each day, be followers of God each day in this life. No other gods before our God. Let's be conscious of God. Let's be conscious of our Father in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit of God, three in one. Let's be conscious of and serve God. Then the second one, the second commandment after no other gods besides me, the second one in Deuteronomy chapter five is this, verses eight through 10. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. He talks about punishing people to the third and fourth generation, but showing love to a thousand generations. Now, if you do the math on that, you can see those will overlap. Let's tie in to to a thousand generation ago. If you have to go that far back, I don't think mathematically that's even possible. I mean, that's a long ways back, you know, 30,000 years or something. That's a long ways back, a thousand generations back to find somebody who loved God, that God's going to show love to you through that. And 
Anyway, what is this idol talk? So don't have any gods besides me and then don't have any idols either. And here's how I take this. Don't have any gods, you know, other gods, other religions, but don't have any hiddly little idols either. You know, don't have any gods behind me. That's <laughs> how I would see this. No little gods, no little trinkets, no, none of that mess. It's one thing to serve other gods. It's another thing to serve pathetic little idols instead of the living God, instead of the creator of the universe. So what are these things that we can trust in or serve that aren't even worthy of comparing to God? So there had to be two categories, other gods and then idols. You know, back then they had little household gods, little idols. You know, like, again, you don't have a whole lot of that in our culture. What are the idols that we might follow in our culture? So the idols we have in our culture are things like money, self, you know, our talents, our networks, you know, things like that. The things that we trust in. At a pastor's conference one time, the preacher was talking about idols. And he said, an idol is the thing that you trust in when you're not sure if God's gonna show up. And he said, to the preachers. He said, some of you trust in being funny because if the anointing doesn't come, at least you can tell some jokes, you know, like stuff like that. It's like, wow, you got to be careful not to trust in the presentation and make that an idol. We got to trust in God. That's why I read so much scripture. If you've been following along here at Good Hope for any length of time, you'll notice there's a whole lot of Bible that I'm going to be preaching. That's because I want you to fall in love with God and the scriptures and to follow God and to walk in line with what the scriptures teach. And I don't care what you think about me. I mean, I enjoy it when people like me, stuff like that. But it's not about following me. You know what I mean? I'm a horrible substitute. Don't trust in me, trust in God. I need to not trust in certain abilities. I need to trust in God. We need to not trust in our money, not trust in our friends, not trust in ourselves. We need to trust in God, not serve money, not serve our friends, not serve ourselves in that worship sense, but serve and worship God. Don't substitute any pathetic little things that aren't even close to comparing with God. You know, like trusting in money, that's, that's idolatry. You know, what is $5 million versus the creator of the universe? What's $5 billion or $5 trillion versus the creator of the universe? It's nothing, it's nothing. These things aren't worth comparing. So they're just idols. So no other gods, no idols. We wanna honor God first and foremost, not have anything in front of God, not have anything beside God and not have any of these pathetic little things behind God. Let's just trust in, worship, honor, serve God. Nothing else. Number three, commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The ancient Israelites had a very profound respect for the name of God. They wouldn't even utter it. You know, they wouldn't say Jehovah, you know, that how, how they said it back then. I'm not really sure of the exact pronunciation, but they would not utter the name of God. It was considered disrespectful to even utter the name of God. They had a deep reverence for God, who he was, the name of God. For us, what does it mean? What is the fulfillment of the law with regards to do not misuse the name of the Lord? You know, we can utter the name Jesus. We can say Jehovah, God the Father. We can call on the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord. We say those things. So what does it mean to say don't misuse the name of God? You know, there's two primary ways 
to make sure that we don't misuse the name of God, you know, the take the name of the Lord in vain. So first, don't be swearing, <laughs> you know, with Jesus' name, using God in your swearing, like that's not good. You know, you don't want to be damning things as well. That's not what we're going for. So there's the clear, just blatant misuse of the name of the Lord in swearing. There's another one that's very important. A more subtle way of misusing the name of the Lord is basically playing the God card. Well, God told me, and you use that to manipulate people. You haven't heard from God. You're just playing the God card. So if you play the God card, that to me is much worse than even the the swearing side. Uh, That's very bad. You know, don't write me a letter about that. That will get you into the for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Swearing, it will get you into that. It's another level of religious dysfunction to play the God card, to misuse the name of the Lord in that respect. If you're just manipulating people by playing the God card, that is a deeper, more evil way of misusing the name of the Lord. So don't do that. God will not hold you guiltless for manipulating other people with the name of the Lord. So don't be playing the God card. If you hear from God, then hallelujah, you honor God. But don't be saying you did when you didn't because that's misusing the name of the Lord. The, uh, the last of the first four, the last of the commandments that really is talking about our relationship with God is keep the Sabbath, verses 12 through 15. Let's look at this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I doubt they got to have a Sabbath in Egypt as slaves. I think that was a everyday, you're a slave everyday kind of a scenario. So that's keeping the Sabbath. Take the seventh day, which is Saturday. You know, Sunday, the first day of the week is where Jesus rose. He rose on a Sunday, first day of the week. That became resurrection day, the Lord's day. Now we have a two-day weekend. We got the Sabbath on Saturday. We got the Lord's day on Sunday. So hallelujah for Christianity. We get a two-day weekend instead of a one-day weekend. But what's the idea behind the Sabbath. I've heard people say that the Sabbath does not apply anymore. I disagree with that, but I do believe there is a fulfillment of the Sabbath. I'm not talking about legalistic righteousness following specific rules with regards to the Sabbath, you know, but I do think that we need to grab hold of the main concept of the Sabbath. That is two things, rest and focus on God. So we need to rest physical, emotional, mental rest, That is good. We can get caught up in the frenetic pace of this life and that can be really, really rough. We don't want that. And then we need to focus on God, remind ourselves regularly of who God is, of who we are in Christ, of what God has done for us, regularly taking stock of who God is, worshiping and honoring God. I think weekly is a good routine for that. And I think going to church is a great way to do it too. 
So, and that's a lot of like the worship time. You know, like let's not be thinking about all the, uh, the cares and worries of this life. Let's set all that aside. Let's just worship and honor God in song. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Times of prayer, daily prayer and devotion, weekly church attendance, and not just showing up for church grudgingly, but taking the day to rest and focus on God. Now, you can do that. We have a Saturday night service at 6.30. We have Sunday, 9, 10.45. I don't think it matters. You can certainly work shift work and be a full follower of God. And you know, like, oh, well, I got to work the weekend. You know, you're a nurse or you work at Sappy or whatever. You know, like you work a, a shift. Well, that's fine. You can be a Christian and work shift work, but regularly have a routine of letting go of the worries and cares of this life, not focusing on getting everything done, but focusing on God. And this included the housework. When they said, don't work, it wasn't just don't go to your job. It was don't do housework, you know, cook all the food the day before. You know what I mean? It was rest. So housework was included in that. So the, the idea is that we focus on God and we rest from the worries of this life on a regular, consistent routine. I think every week coming to church, that's a good way to do it, but we don't want to get into a legalism. So there you go. So those were the first four. Love God, you know, no other gods before me. No idols either. Don't misuse the name of the Lord and keep the Sabbath. So Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God with all you got. I mentioned that earlier. Let's read it out of Mark. Mark chapter 12, where Jesus is asked the great question, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives an answer, which is fantastic. And he answers one of the answers we'll talk about today. Next week, we'll talk about the next one. So the answer he gave to what the most important one, Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, we've got Almighty God's own words in the Ten Commandments four ways we relate to him that show him that we love him. So how do we do that? Let's resolve to follow the first four commandments. Let's follow those. Let's make our New Year's resolution, our 2022 resolution. Let's include four. You know, the first two kind of work together. Serve and trust God first. Don't forget about God Don't end up being a practical atheist with just a little bit of religious ideas in the back of your head, but serve and honor God every day. Walk this life conscious of God. So have no other gods in front of him, no other gods beside him, and then nothing behind him. No little idols, no little things that you trust in, trusting in your money, trusting in yourself, your own abilities, your friends helping you out trust in God. It's okay to have money. It's okay to build yourself and, you know, get stronger and, and, you know, all those different things. It's okay to have friends. You know, it's okay to have talents and abilities, but don't serve those and trust in them primarily. What you want to do is serve and trust in God. So that's how we do that. Then respect and honor the name of God. So we want to keep a reverent heart at the mention of the Lord, a reverent heart towards God. So do not use the name of the Lord in vain. Don't be using God's name in swearing, Jesus' name, God, 
you know, you don't want to be damning stuff, you know, like that. That's you just don't want to be walking down that road. And then do not play the God card. You know, instead, reverence the word of God. Reverence who God is. Let's have a deep reverence for God. Respect and honor the name of God. And then the fourth one, keep the Sabbath. That means have regular times of rest from the worries of this life and all the stuff that's going on and spend time with God. Honor God. Be conscious of God. Be aware of God. Regular routine. I think daily devotional time and prayer time on your own and then times of gathering together at church. If it's online, that's cool. It's sure great when it's in person. So finding a church to attend, but not just showing up for church to check it off the box. Make it part of resting from what's your normal worries and cares and then focusing on God realigning your heart with God. That's what we want to do on a regular routine. We want to let go of all this stuff of the world and we want to connect with, honor, love, worship God. Let go of the world and tune into God. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Let's do those and uh, make that pledge, make that resolution to follow the uh, 10 commandments and today the first four, the ones that have to do with loving God. And so as we honor Jesus and we understand what he's done for us, the good things that almighty God has done for for us, those who have failed, those who have wandered away, those who have failed to recognize God for who he is, failed to serve him, he has forgiveness and redemption, new life, a life of purpose, a life of connecting with God and enjoying the presence of God and then everlasting life. It's an incredible, incredible blessing that I hope you're not taking for granted. And if you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, there is a God in heaven that loves you and you have the opportunity to get to know him. Just open your heart to the Lord and just say, you know, in your own words, say something along the lines of Lord Jesus, you know, I I want to know you. I open my heart to you. Come, I accept you into my heart. Please forgive me and help me to get to know you so I can walk with you and have a new life. Pray something along those lines and God will come and meet you where you're at and it's gonna be good, so... So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us here in our wounds. You don't leave us here in our failures. You don't leave us here in our sins. But you, you heal us, you forgive us, you redeem us. But the wages of sin is death. And so Lord Jesus, you came to pay that price. You paid the wage for the sins of the world, a mighty, mighty wage, but you did it. And so Lord, we honor you. We will walk by faith and we will remember you. We will not forget. We will not be practical atheists forgetting what you've done for us, but we will walk in that. Lord, we pledge that we would have no other gods before you, but we would lift you up in our hearts every day. We wouldn't have any idols, no little things that we trust in over you, that we wouldn't use your name in vain, that we wouldn't misuse your name either through swearing or through playing the God card. And Lord, we also say that we will make a regular practice of connecting with you. Lord, taking that Sabbath time, not in a legalistic way, but a regular routine of letting go of the world and tuning into you. And so Lord, we pledge that. We make the resolution to do that. And Lord, we ask for your blessings as we do. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, for caring about us. It's amazing to me. But Lord, thank you for that. Help us to walk in step with you, in step with your spirit, trusting you in this new year. So bless us and encourage us. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen.